We actually want to change the way the system and the businesses operate around us. Yeah, that, that's key to what we're doing. Uh, and then the first year we had sort of 10 different companies sign up to the pledge. We made it so it works for chalet companies, um, massage companies, ski schools, individual instructors, shops, um, clothing brands. Yeah, so we made it for like a wide variety of transfer companies and they were sort of the test, test companies for the sort of pilot scheme. Um, and now we're just working on developing that a lot further actually. Um, so hopefully, we're just building that. It's hopefully going to develop into an online training course so small organisations, companies can sign up um, and be led through a training course on how to, to green their business. things I find fascinating are the characteristics behind many different brands. Some of them are outgoing and energetic, some are a little bit more laid back. So in this podcast, we look to explore all the different characteristics, not only of the brand itself, its roots, its origins, but the people behind the brand. And is there a bit of a relationship between the characters of the people and the characters of the brand? Well, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome wherever you are, and welcome to this episode of Legends of the Brand. And today, I'm rather excited, kind of something a little bit different to what we've perhaps chatted about uh, recently, but I'm speaking to Gavin Fernie-Jones from Boot Lab and One Treated Time. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, welcome aboard. Hi, Phil. Thanks, uh, thanks for having us here and for taking an interest in what we do. Um, oh, yeah, it's really exciting to have people like sort of getting in contact and uh, asking a few questions about what we're trying to do, so it's cool. Oh, cool. Well, hopefully over the course of the next little while, you'll be able to walk us through uh, what you're doing and, and uh, um, the initiatives and everything like that. But um, first of all, obviously, you're, you're, uh, we're speaking and you're in uh, France. You're in Courcheval, Three Valleys. Is that right? Yeah, currently I'm in Beauzelle, which is okay. just uh, on the edge of the Three Valleys. Um, I'm currently in the, in, in the shop. But um, yeah, I live uh, just sort of just down the hill from Courcheval 1650, really, is where I'd call my base. Um, in a small little French village called La Grenier, about 20 houses. Um, it's been a cracking week of sunshine. We've been sat outside the front. It's been it's been quite warm temperatures recently. Um, it would have been an interesting finish to the season <laughs> if we didn't have one. Uh, but no, yeah, that's where I live. Oh, that's lovely. It sounds idyllic with, uh, say, some sunshine. And uh, what would your tipple be uh, sitting outside? Is it, uh, is it a bit of wine, oh, a bit of beer? Ah, uh, Demi. Yeah, a bit of beer, sat out in the sun. Um, we can see from our house, we can see the Grand Bec, which is a really um, nice mountain just off to the side of us. Um, some people might be familiar with that. Um, and also the Don de Villard, which is the sort of mountain you can see off to the side of the 1650. It's quite an unusual piece of rock. Um, it's featured a lot of pictures and stuff. So yeah, got a very nice view in here. Oh, I see. It's, uh, I'm looking at my window here and I can see uh, trees and the next door neighbor's house. So okay. I'm kind of... Uh, uh, not envious at all of it. Not envious at all. Um, but you've obviously got a British accent, and you're probably a, a bit of a, I wouldn't say an expat, but you're obviously living living in in France. Um, so how did you get from here to there? Aside from on an airplane or on, on a car, what? Uh, how did you How did you get there? Yeah, um, I think now, I don't know, but I think maybe about 15 years ago now was when I first came out to resort. Um, I was actually working back in the UK. And my brother decided to do a winter season for a company called La Ski. I guess quite a few people have heard of them. They're based in Val d'Isere and Courchevel and Tanya. Um, and literally the very, very last week of the season, I said to a mate, right, tell you what, let's just go and see what this skiing is all about. Like never been skiing or snowboarding or anything before. In fact, I first started snowboarding. So we turned up, grabbed a snowboard. We actually went, we, land, we landed in Geneva um, and... My mate had organised the train, so we walked downstairs like to the train station, jumped on the train to Moutier. Um, we'd been going for like a good hour and a half, and I was chatting away to him. I was like, just didn't, didn't look like the right scenery uh, to my friend Ben. And uh, there's a Swiss girl listening in to us, and she was like, oh, there's a few Moutiers in Europe. And we were heading to Moutier at the far end of Switzerland. Um, <laughs> Oops. Miles away from where we needed to go. Uh, and she said, she was quite funny, because she's like, the good thing about Swiss trains is they're super, super efficient. So 
when you get to the next station, you'll be able to run under the platform as quick as you can, and you'll jump on the next train going back to Geneva. Um, and then she said, the bad thing is the most expensive train system in, in Europe, and it cost us so much money. <laughs> <laughs> Mistake. Um, so yeah, we rocked up in Latania, spent a week there with my brother, and I just loved it. Like, mm. it was amazing. Um, it was so good. And we learned to snowboard that week. It was great fun. Uh, we had loads of snow. It was one of those weeks right at the end of the season where it just happens to dump um, and then headed home and just decided that I wanted to make that part of my life um, and so came out the following season with my brother again um, and we ran a chalet for the ski in Corsica 1650. Oh brilliant and uh, I'm really looking to <laughs> say you now did you come back and forth a few times or I guess you probably had to come back and settle things up but then you went back and you because uh, you, you have a, right now you run a shop now you own well you own yeah. a shop in yeah so from that point I did five or six seasons for the ski um, in between was doing a bit of traveling um, it actually you know when, like when you run a chalet um, you can do pretty well out of it you get very good tips from clients uh, especially back then the euro and pound was you know the exchange rate was quite favorable so when you got your, your wages um, you had a little bit more money, got to know everyone in all the bars, so it wasn't that often that you paid for a beer. Um, and so it meant when you'd return at the end of the season, you could save, you could actually save up some cash. Um, and so we tended to spend the summers just doing a bit of traveling around. Um, when I got to Corsica on that first season, I met my wife, now, now my wife, Sarah. Um, she wasn't the Swiss girl on the train, just checking. No, she wasn't the Swiss girl on the train, no. Okay, checking. <laughs> <laughs> she was a ski guide for the ski. Um, and yeah, so we, you know, like we'd spend our summers traveling really. Uh, and then sort of five years into doing seasons in Courchevel, we decided that we fancied going to see, um, to Canada. We fancied going to Fernie, um, basically because my wife's surname was Fernie. That was, that was the decision made. Sounds good uh, enough to me. <laughs> and then we, we got there and couldn't find a job in Fernie. So we ended up in Banff with a friend um, and I started boot fitting in a shop there in Banff. Uh, so I boot fitted through the, through the winter there um, and then contacted a friend of mine called Tom who, who was working for the ski the whole time I was there. Um, he was the maintenance guy and, I, and he was currently making his own skis. So he had a, he had a ski brand called Fortree Skis and he was currently making them. And I just said to him, I think this boot fitting idea could really work in the Courchevel area. There's no one doing it. Um, what do you reckon? We put together a pretty detailed business plan, took it to a few people and uh, they looked through it and said, yeah, you've, you know, it's a, a product to service that if it's not there in the area, then it should work. Um, and then we started looking around for premises. Now, I think the reason it worked was because we were super naive, like, if I, if I knew, like, if I did it again now, like, oh, I don't know, it just worked because we were so, we went in with just such naivety um, and we just open to any ideas. And so we ended up sharing a shop space with New Generation um, and it's a 40 square meter shop. So we had 20 square meters of space, which is obviously pretty small when you consider you need stock of a few hundred ski boots and you need them in the shop somewhere, you need uh, assessment areas, you need equipment and tool size. It was like, yeah, it was pretty, pretty mad at first. We were like, can we make this work? Um, so we went for it. It, it works. It actually works really, really well in a small space, uh, madly, because certainly, certainly in High Street in Courchevel now for our type of business, um, the retail side of things is only really based around stuff that has a service. So it's very difficult to sell a piece of clothing because most people coming on holiday have already got their ski clothing mm -hmm. um you know it's, it's it's something you probably buy before you come out so actually the more space we have the more stock we have to put on the walls like the more difficult our job becomes almost mm -hmm. um so that i think it really helped us to have the focus that we only had space to do boot fitting um, and, that, and that helped develop it just one, one of the big reasons it happened is we were we were spending like hours and hours emailing suppliers like Bearing in mind, we're doing this in our terrible French. We're probably, to be honest, we're probably even sending emails in English. I can't really remember. Like, it was that, probably <laughs> that likely. Um, and one rep from Scarpa got back to us and just said, oh, there's a big trade show down in Lyon tomorrow. 
and we'd been we'd like we've been messaging people for months getting no replies um it was like oh great how, how can we come down to that and he's like well yeah come down you need to get a pass to get you know you need to be registered and get in and all this sort of stuff so we were like well we'll just go down and see if we can get in um and we totally, we went down we totally winged it uh somehow got through the door and then got chatting to the reps and the reps were like great yeah they were like brilliant like we'd love to get involved uh, i think it was just the sort of um probably language barrier in the emails and it didn't yeah, maybe it didn't seem that serious in our emails and stuff so um luckily we got to that big uh, big trade show and it went from there brilliant and so it's uh so the 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 the, the um story you started was, was called the boot lab or boot lab yeah. the boot lab yeah the yeah. boot lab and uh so when you obviously started that what was the uh, would you say language was the biggest challenge you had in setting it up or was it just what would you oh, say so was the big say that again what was the was language your language barrier the biggest challenge um, in setting it up yes in some senses some stuff was like some of the logistical stuff was quite tricky as well like even just opening a bank account in france is pretty difficult mm -hmm. um you can't have any credit in france so um don't know why they don't let anyone open a bank account because you can't get into debt um but yeah it's very very difficult to set up an account here i think they'd got stung a little bit um maybe just during the recession when companies or British companies or small British companies left and went back to the UK without paying debts and stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, that was quite tricky. The language barrier was definitely quite tricky. Um, other than that, I mean, we, we were quite lucky in that we were setting up a boot fit shop in one of the biggest resorts um, in, in the Alps. And it wasn't really that facility there. There was a shore foot up in 1850. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, there wasn't someone sort of catering to that middle market. Like mm -hmm. Shawfoot's a little bit more expensive than us. It's not more expensive. It's just that they tend to put a injected liner in a mm -hmm. uh, in every boot, so it always adds on like a, a little bit more cost to the customer. Yeah. So we definitely filled a, a gap in the market, um, and it just started to work. And then I think what we had on our side as well is both me and Tom uh, are pretty good with tools and with our hands and stuff. So we took to that part of it really well um and we just got an insane amount of experience from the word go because we're just in the resort so we get feedback instantly like yeah boot fit in so get better at boot fitting you just need to fit a lot of boots and learn as you go and find out what's working and what isn't working and what little tricks you can use to change little parts of the way the foot sat inside the boot um and you know, like the, the shop space in 1650 is literally 20 meters from the from the lift. So if someone goes for a ski and it's not right, they are back in 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> they might be back uh, every hour for the day sometimes. Uh, but that really gives us a, a lot of feedback straight away, so we can essentially get better at our job, probably. That's brilliant. I was going to ask. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned beforehand about it, but I was going to say, what was the what was the the gap in the market that you wanted to fill? So you, you were kind of um, mid high range uh, price points, and uh, is that kind of how you 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 that's the gap you wanted to fill versus rental and Surefoot? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. So most shops in Corsavella have got a rental aspect, and that's actually where they make most of their money because, um, like I say, a lot of purchase products have been bought before people get to resort and they're actually really not that interested in doing boot fitting because of the the time and effort they have to put into to fit in a, a set of boots probably you know like they're very busy shops turning over like hundreds and hundreds of rental packages a week fitting a ski boot takes probably takes an hour to two hours and then you might have to tweak throughout the week so we sort of you know we sat comfortably in that little space that these shops would recommend us because we weren't taking business off them by renting skis for example so yeah it was i think if we'd have had a much bigger shop that did ski rental as well the boot fitting would have suffered a bit because people wouldn't have wanted to recommend us um so that just sort of worked in our favor and then cost wise yeah we we wanted to make it as affordable as we could really we do every ski boot we sell does have to have a custom fitted ski boot in so i would say like our boots range fitted from 500 euros to 650 so they're they're still you know it's still not the cheapest boot package out there um but the other thing we do is we'll do tweaks on anyone's boots so we'll work a lot with fitters from the uk i think you've had colin martin on here before mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, if Colin's got a customer that's come out to the Corsh area and there's a slight problem with the boot, you know, we'll just help Colin out and we'll punch the boot and quite often won't charge the customer or we'll do a little grind on the footbed and Colin will do the, the same for us if people come back to the UK. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we also just tried to make sure we delivered like an amazing service. And if someone walks into our shop and the boot is the right size and you know, all they need is a replacement buckle or all they need is a slight punch to the boot somewhere, we're not gonna go and try and sell them a new boot. That was always mm-hmm. our, our messages to, to make sure the customer is getting the, the right product for them but also it's truthful you know we're not getting someone oh this is the wrong boot you need to go in this so yeah we've just been fair in the way we 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 deal with our customers and provide as good a service as we can that's and, that's brilliant i love that yeah yeah i mean it's interesting because i don't think we've ever done that much marketing for the boot lab but locally um probably it helped that we'd been in resort for five years but locally we were kind of quite well respected um, and we get referrals just for all our, all our stuff is just referrals. Um, and so we're very good as well. If we've done something wrong, if the boot's not right, you know, if we've been doing like working on a boot for a couple of days and it's just, or staff members fitted it and we've had a chat afterwards and we're like, we don't think this is quite the right boot. We'll just change it up. Like mm. we just have to get that client out in the right product. Um, and sometimes that costs us. Like in a case like that, it's going to cost us a bit of money and it's going to cost mm. us some time. But um, in the long run, it helps you and your reputation. So, yeah, just a real focus on service, really. Oh, love it. Love it. And um, I think that, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to, um, to to come past the shop beforehand. And you can definitely, it's got a really love, lovely feel in it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, so, I mean, I think um, one of the things that uh, is, is, is fascinating uh, about, about you and your journey and your story is the, the, the I'm going to call it the transitions or the blending. So yeah. um, from our conversation, from my understanding, as you went through the process of, of fitting boots and obviously the shop that you're, you're running, I guess you, did you get to a certain point where you just perhaps got frustrated with, with the, uh, uh, I'm going to say packaging and all that sort of stuff. And what I say, what was the chicken and egg, the kind of, that, 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 yeah. uh, that, that change that made you perhaps become more environmentally aware because that's probably the other the other big uh, uh, feather in your cap isn't it yeah transition is probably the perfect word for it because i can remember that first season when we'd ordered i don't know probably 200 ski boots and they all turn up at the start of november at start of december and i'm looking at the door and we're like whoa we've we've just this is ours now <laughs> we've got a certain length of time to sell enough of this that we can pay our bills <laughs> yeah um, and that was proper daunting that was like this is reality um whereas now when that comes to the shop i look at that and i just see the packaging i just see the amount of plastic and i've transitioned to just looking at the amount of stuff that is wrapped around mm. what is essentially normally a plastic product i mean that's what drives me most insane probably the most insane thing is when you open a ski bo- uh, ski boot box and the ski boot which is plastic is wrapped in a plastic bag that like 100 percent of the time the customer is probably not even going to see that mm. in our shop is not even going to see that that boot was once in a plastic bag you know we're gonna well, we're gonna open a box we're gonna take the boot out and we're gonna do a shell check mm-hmm. but the plastic bag hasn't even like played a role in that customer's purchase mm. um and so yeah it's sort of transitioned to just seeing all this stuff and like we're in our store when you look at a ski we feel that it's important that it doesn't have the plastic wrapping on it looks better to the consumer um, and you can pick it up and you can flex it and they're not stuck together. So we actually take all the wrapping off the skis, for example, mm-hmm. and put them all on display. So, you know, that again, that happens instantly at the start of the winter and you just have this mound of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so slowly we started sort of transitioning towards looking at ways we could sort of improve the impact of our shop, which, you know, when we started out, just seemed like a phenomenally difficult project. <laughs> um, and then just started working away at it, chipping away at ideas. Um, some of the first things we did was speak to suppliers, especially when it came to plastic. So we spoke to CDAS and said, like, um, all our footbeds, they come in a plastic bag. Like, we don't display them. We have a drawer in the shop with them inside so that we can just take out our sizes. Can you, can you stop... Uh, sending out these footbeds to us in plastic bags, can they just come in a box? And so that that got changed. And I mean, that was done about 
five or six years ago now. So I think we've worked out that saving, I'd like saved like 20, 30,000 plastic bags in total. Um, That's wonderful. At that time. So we started doing that. Uh, it's culminated when, with, a, with the plastic side of things, for example, it culminated in last year with us returning all the plastic to a couple of the brands. So we said to Nordica and Technica, like, we've got this idea, we're going to keep as much of the packaging from your products as we can through the winter. Um, so it's as many boot boxes and you know, the footbeds. So I guess some of your listeners know quite a bit about boot fitting, but mm-hmm. when I say we, um, we always replace, we always fit a custom made footbed. Whenever we buy a boot, there is a, a blank footbed almost in the bottom of the boot, which we take out. We'll use it to draw around to create the, the custom made footbed. Um, but it's never actually used again by the consumer. It's, you know, it's straight into a bin somewhere. Mm-hmm. So we saved all those. Um, and then, yeah, took them back down to Nordic and Technica and they loved it. Took it down to the reps. Um, and basically the reps wanted us to bring that stuff so they could take it then to their bosses so they could sort of say to them, look, this is one small shop. Like we've got to do something about this. Wow. <laughs> have they started to have, um, these things don't have change overnight but uh no no from from that from that group have they started to adjust the way they deliver products to you or have you had conversations yeah so i know well it was planned for this year but obviously covid put a bit of a a dent in that but the Mm -hmm. deliveries this year are rental boots certainly um the plan from a lot of companies is for them to come in one large box so you know a lot normally a rental company a rental ski boot will come in all the the packaging of a of a normal ski boot and then mm-hmm. obviously it gets to the rental store and immediately that packaging comes off and they go on the shelf for rental mm-hmm. so again we've got all this this wastage um and i know they had intentions this year to deliver that with all at, at all those individual boxes um and then sort of use some of that to see if they could then start to change the packaging on on sort of consumer ski boots in the future um and there's a couple of other suppliers we've worked with as well that we're delivering this stuff in um individually packed and we said to them look like the whole box the, you know the whole box can be waterproofed in a sense the inside all the items inside don't need to be like they're going to mm-hmm. go straight on the shelf um so there's some brands looking at that now as well that's great uh, you must yeah. be really proud about that sort of initiative that you're working on and which which is kind of nice because um so in terms of the um in terms of the the changes in packaging and perhaps the more environmentally um, conscious is it, uh, mm. that, that you are making your shop and making um, you know the change you make your business. How has it affected your business? Uh, in, a, in a positive way, for sure, locally. Like I'd say, I think with a lot of these things, they have a real impression on the local community. So our local community has been really engaged, um, mainly because we've held a lot of events around the shop, but. Uh, yeah, they've been super enthusiastic about the things we're doing. It's probably slightly harder for someone who's on a holiday to sort of really see exactly what we're doing as a brand and and not to be like critical of anyone on a holiday, but you're on a holiday, aren't you? Like it's a luxury holiday in the Alps. You've been working hard all year. Yeah. Um, yeah. In many ways, the, the eco footprint of your ski boot probably isn't the top of your agenda um, at that time, you know, mm. probably where you get your next cold beer from or which slopes can be best is, is more important. So we do, but we do have customers coming in and saying, we've seen what you're doing online. Like it's, it's really interesting. I'd say one area that we've kind of been working on for a couple of years that is definitely peaking interest with our customers is um, a plastic free custom made footbed that we've sort of been building ourselves and prototyping. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, you know, like I, I can't remember the exact figure, but I've made thousands of footbeds that, are going to be on this planet long after I am um, with the Boot Lab logo on. <laughs> uh, and that, that does frighten me slightly. Uh, does does upset me. That, might, that maybe gives me sleepless nights. Uh, so we sort of started to tackle that as well. So I've looked at ways we could we could make a custom footbed without any plastic. And we've got, you know, we've done a few prototypes over the last couple of years that have been tested and I think we're pretty much there. Um, we've been using a a sort of thermo molded wood product that's used in the health industry to make casts. So mm-hmm. uh, traditional plaster cast is getting replaced by like a, a moldable wood that can be taken off so that you can wash your arm, for example, like when you're in the shower. Um, and the great thing about it, 
is when that person has finished using that cast, it can go back to the hospital or wherever. It can get cleaned and using heat, it can get flattened back out into the original sort of shape and sheet so it can get reused. Wow. Um, it, we've got like a focus on, I, I don't know if you've heard about this or, or any listable, but the, the circular economy. So the circular economy is this idea. It, it, it's, you know, some people might think of it as recycling, but it's not, it's much bigger than that. It's the idea of making a product um, that can be reused in its in its own model or can be completely decompostable. So it's got no impact um, at end of life or, or something that's put in back at every stage of the production. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we looked at like what we could use to make these footbeds. So yeah, it's a moldable, a heat moldable wood that is waterproof. It's completely biodegradable. Um, we've then been using like a cork stabilization underneath. Um, so that, that's been that's been something we've tested for the last couple of years and, and yeah, it's worked quite well. And, and clients are generally interested in that. They're like, when can we test this product? When can we have this product? Mm. So that's that's been quite interesting. That's fascinating. And is, uh, it's probably still early days, but do you foresee that it's going to be more expensive product uh, or is it going to be comparable to to the products you're currently using, you know, uh, in terms of uh, people adopting, um, adopting that sort yeah. of product, if it's too, ex- not saying too expensive, people won't do it, but uh, just you yeah. know, the, the barriers to entry, any thoughts on the pricing? I probably, I probably got to be careful there because we've, we've got very good reputation with Cedars and stuff, but it's way cheaper to us. Um, <laughs> we'll leave it at that we'll leave it at that, <laughs> it at that yeah. but uh, yeah like the raw material in the products yeah are, oh. less. um so they would be you know i could do it less to the consumer i mean we have to you know the, we would have done a lot more testing this winter <laughs> um you know we do need to test these things to make sure they're as of good quality like there's no point in making a a product that's environmentally friendly if it's just going to disintegrate inside a ski boot and not deliver the performance that another product already does. So, you know, that, that is important. Um, but yeah, if we can, I, I don't know, like, as we've gone through the process um, with various companies of trying to go, so after this, we'll get into this in a bit, I'm sure, but um, we've worked a lot with different companies about trying to green, green their businesses. And we often find out that the green uh, solution is often cheaper by I've just switched my electricity. It's been bad because I should have done it ages ago. I've been helping lots of other companies do it. And I'm like, right, I need to do my... I've just literally done it this afternoon and I was on the phone to the guy and I was like, is it more expensive than EDF, my current electricity? So I've switched to a green supplier. The energy's made at um, a hydro dam just down the road and just, just south of Alberville. So very close to here. And he's like, no, it's cheaper. Like it's, it's less expensive. Um, so I've swapped. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, a lot of the times we are finding that the solutions can be cheaper. That's amazing. And so um, obviously you, you um, I'm going to say bitten by the bug, but you had to have a successful shop uh, selling mm. ski boots and, and boot fitting. And uh, from there, you uh, obviously could see the, the impact that uh, the, you know, your, your one shop or your, 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 your uh, retail uh, situation is, is creating. Um, and from there, you then turned around and you started a, I guess you, in combination with the people, you started uh, one tree, one tree at a time, which is a combination charity and store. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so, like one tree at a time, sort of came around, not by accident, but we decided. Uh, can we swear on this show? I don't know. If it's yeah, it's fine. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> um, we had. Um, it was the first Brexit day of many. I think it was like the 30th of March, two seasons ago. I can't remember. I don't know how many Brexit days we had in the end, but it was one of them. Um, and it was a, a week in resort where a lot of uh, clients had decided they weren't going to come to resort because they were worried about not getting, not getting back. And I don't know, they were worried that all flights were going to be grounded. Um, so we knew it was going to be a quiet day in resort. Um, it was on a Friday and we thought, right, let's do something positive. Let's just, you know, we, we were a bit over Brexit, to be honest, <laughs> like most people out here. Um, and we thought, right, we'll, we'll, we'll throw this, this day outside the shop where we fix and repair clothing. So we've got some really good friends out here. It seems just as um, Gina is a good friend of mine. And she, she came up and she sat outside the front of the shop and she just got on with repairing clothing. Um, so we called the day Fix It, Fuck Brexit. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it wasn't really like, it wasn't like politically like, 
sensitive or minded. It was just like we were just fed, fed up. up. Fed up, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do something else. I'm bored of this conversation. Let's do something positive. Um, so part of that was we decided right. Let's do a bit of fundraising on the day. Let's let's use some some funds to plant some trees. Let's just do something good. And we decided to start running a, a sort of bring and buy rail. So mm -hmm. we put a few posts out on the internet and said, right, this is our plan. Basically, do you want to do anyone donate some clothes? We'll sell them on the day, and then we'll use all the money to plant as many trees as we can. Um, put the message out, and then like the stuff we started getting in was just insane. Like it's I mean, it's eye opening. Um, the amount of kit that we've all got that maybe we don't need. Uh, it's quite funny. So we got this kit in and had a wicked day, had some music outside the shop. It was brilliant. Sun was shining. Um, and we ended up raising about four grand on that, on that day. Um, brilliant. Which was really exciting and really cool. And fixed loads of clothes, kept loads of clothes out of landfill. It was really cool for the rest of the year in resorts. So I chucked a coat in there. Um, and there's another season there who bought it and I just see him skiing around the mountain in my coat and it's awesome. You know, it's, it's been in my cupboard for a year or something and <laughs> it was great to see it back out there. So that was cool. Um, and then it was such a success. We decided to run one in Meribel and over in Morzine with a group of friends over there. Um, and we raised in total nine grand from the three days and planted around about 80,000 trees. Um, wow. That's amazing. Um, and it was mega successful and on the day we had lots of conversations with local businesses and they were like right how how can we get involved how can we like how do we start to do what you you've been doing and like, how did you start to improve the impact of your small business and I, I i think it's a really key sort of area that we need to focus on in the future small to medium-sized businesses are going to be forced into making changes it's going to be led probably by governmental laws and they also are going to be forced by their customers to change the way they operate but it's actually like really difficult to to, to make those changes like it's impossible for a small business to employ an environmental officer for example like yeah you can't just go and add another another person to the to the books and say right this person's going to deal with our environmental impact is impossible um so the idea was for us to do it kind of collectively um so we set up one tree at a time um it was a bit of a the name came out of nowhere so we had um we we're really lucky we had uh, courtney working in the in the shop in Courchevel, and she's a graphic designer um so when the shop was quiet i'd be like courtney get some designs done like <laughs> make some logos uh and we were just chatting one day and we were like, right, what, what are we going to call this thing? And she said, well, one tree at a time, like the idea is we break down everything into steps and we do it one step at a time, one tree at a time. Like we've been planting all those trees. Let's do this in that way. Let's break everything down into manageable size. Um, and it just stuck. And then we started from there. Um, the next thing we kind of launched and the big part of it is the pledge system. So, uh, to help businesses, we created with a friend of mine who is a Kiwi um, chef out here, but he's an environmental scientist called Sam. Uh, we created a pledge system based around five, five sort of key principles. The first one was um, measurement. So we were getting companies to measure their impact so that they can disclose it to us and we can start to figure out which areas we can tackle. Uh, second section was reduction. So straight away, look at things we can do to reduce the impact of our businesses, which is actually far easier than we all realize. Uh, third section is all based around education. So how we can educate both our clients and our staff. Um, sustainability is a section choosing sustainable brands you could maybe work with or suppliers. And then at the end, we've got a section on offset, which, you know, we are called one tree at a time, uh, but the kind of offsetting has become a sort of byproduct of what we do now. Mm -hmm. um, we actually want to change the way the system and the businesses operate around us. That, that's key to what we're doing. Uh, and then the first year we had sort of 10 different companies sign up to the pledge. We made it so it works for chalet companies, um, massage companies, ski schools, individual instructors, shops, um, clothing brands. Hmm. Yeah, so we made it for like a wide variety of transfer companies and they were sort of the test test companies for the sort of pilot scheme um 
and now we're just working on developing that a lot further actually um it's hopefully we're just building it now it's hopefully going to develop into an online training course so small organizations companies can sign up um and be led for a training course on how to to green their business that sounds really cool so so uh, obviously you've uh, you've got you, that particular um, initiative, which is fantastic. And yep. I'm sure there's lots of people who, um, when we when we finish all this, we'll put the links up and everything. Um, yeah. So hopefully people can find out more about it. So, um, so from there you have the initiative, and um, you know you're we're obviously we're, we're sitting there. We're uh, for those who are listening on on uh, on, on the podcast, they can't see it, but uh, for people who are on video, <laughs> we're actually in in uh, the one one tree at a time charity store is that the how would you how would you yeah. phrase it yeah so um we obviously got all this clothing last year uh sold most of it planted loads of trees uh but i you know got it piqued my interest from having run a shop i was like hang on there's there's something going on here um and so we actually started talking to some brands so on track to nice bar and planks started chatting to them and saying look <clears throat> we think we can start to deal with your uh kind of warranty waste figure is probably a better word for calling it is yeah these brands have quite a lot of warranty kit and it's not necessarily sent back because it's broken or anything like that quite often it's sent back because someone has worn it for a couple of weeks they might have spilt something down it that does happen and you know these brands want to be really loyal to their customers and keep them on board so quite often they will take that product back and, and send out a new one um you know we there's some quite mad reasons for why stuff gets returned but sometimes as well it can be like someone orders something online they try the top on they decide it's not the right size but in the process of doing that they pulled the tags off and then they got to return to the brand and the brand doesn't have a tag anymore the mm -hmm. item's been taken out of the packaging it's really hard to repackage it back and make it look brand new and send it out to another customer and i think in in the returns side of stuff it is way more expensive for a brand to put something back into circulation than it is to throw it away um oh, really yeah there's a big problem there because so if you get something back it's got to be cleaned it's got to be fixed it's got to be serviced there's going to be a period of time that's going to take um say if it takes two months the, the item might no longer be for sale at full price it might now be in the mm -hmm. sale at 50 percent off because that's the way it works so by the time it comes back to being in um in the store or back on the shelves at the, at the warehouse it's, it's lost its value um so currently a lot of companies just dispose of that it's it's interesting because here in france it's now it's now illegal to do that so um french law changed this year so if you're a, if you're a brand you can't burn or, do, or or dispose of your products in a landfill um next year which i think is even more exciting in in january uh, is it's now French law that all distributors, all retailers and all brands have to deal with all end of life ski and mountain products, outdoor products. Wow. So wow. they have to provide recycling facilities. They have to provide um, repurposing facilities. They have to, yeah, it's now, they kind of, when they make a product, it's theirs. Um, so that's coming in next year, which is quite exciting. But <clears throat> we spoke to Blanks and that. I said, look, we can, you know, we can make sure that waste, that product doesn't find its way into the landfill or into the ocean. Um, but secondly, and this is what I think is really important, you have an item of clothing as a brand that you've made. There's a lot of carbon. There's a lot of, of resources gone into that product. It's been transported around the world. You've paid to have that product made, and it's sat in the corner of your warehouse or it's going into landfill and that's that's wasted money if you give it to us we'll repair it we'll get it back out there someone will be wearing your product they'll know that story so they'll know that you have taken responsibility for that product but not only that their friends will see that product you're out on the mountains the next time they buy a jacket or something they might buy from that same brand so we kind of switched the brand's way of like looking at at waste and saying look this is this has a value to it mm. you could get this out there and you can show customers a good story but also engage with a new market um so they started giving us more products and last year we actually just ran an online store uh click and collect at the boot lab so another 
crazy idea of mine, but we had it all stored in um, a, a small bar in Courchevel called Le Boulot. We had it stored downstairs and it, it Katie let us store it there, which was really good. But I'd have to like go like in a busy boot fitting session, I have to run and find a jacket to come back. And, you know, like <laughs> it was a nightmare, but it was good. And we, we actually sold quite a bit. It was cool. Um, and then during during lockdown, I was like, right, I, I'd sort of said a year ago, I think we could really set up a space like this and everyone's I kind of thought it was made a bit mad to sort of set up a charity shop in Courchevel. Um, <laughs> and it would, I think it would have been mad to set it up in resort. I think it would work up there, but we've actually set it up in Bozell, um, which is a small village on the bottom of the mountain. Mm-hmm. It's got a year round community. Um, so it's worked out kind of a lot better in a way because we're a mo- lot more engaged with the, the mm-hmm. community. Uh, and the shop space, I kind of tried to think of it as a, um, as sort of a community hub. So we do lots of stuff out of it. Firstly, we recycle, we repair kit for people. So we've got a couple of seamstresses that will repair all the gear. Um, and then we also run workshops. So we run workshops on bike servicing, for example, um, mountain safety, uh, like um, seamstress classes. So how to fix your jeans, how to fix your a seam on a, on a jacket, that sort of thing. Um, and then we also, work with some companies that come down and we run we run little um workshops on how to green a business mm. so it's kind of like um a, a kind of like you know you saying to if people are watching them out to see but uh, for listeners the main thing you see when you come into shop is a really big desk um, mm-hmm. where a lot of the stuff happens uh, and then around us we've got uh bits and pieces of clothing that have been donated and so yeah we just started taking clothing and what's what's got a bit crazy now is that when you walk in it you can't really tell that this stuff is used like the products that we're getting given uh it's quite mad it kind of seems like a a new store a lot of people yeah were quite surprised that it's uh i mean that was one of the things that i I thought was really fascinating i think that's you know not um I would say a bit of a USP for, for 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 the store is that um or what's what piqued my interest was the fact that most towns and villages will have a charity shop of some sort. Now, I know those are obviously fantastic and they're really important to put money back in the community and a good way of keeping stuff at a landfill. And, you know, obviously this, this is serves a purpose there as well. But I think what was really interesting about it was how um, it's the, the high end nature of, of, of the, of the products that are coming into you. And the fact is that you don't just have, at least from my recollection, you don't have just uh, one size, you actually have size runs of certain products because you're perhaps working with planks or whomsoever yeah. it is. And, um, you know, when it comes to perhaps logos and that sort of stuff that, you know, again, branded products, which may have gone in the bin because it's a few seasons old. Yeah. Uh, I believe, I believe you cannibalized some of those, um, some of those products yeah. to kind of make it all, you know, quote unquote branded one tree at a time. And, and that I think is really, really exciting. Yeah, no, we had an amazing donation from new generation ski school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure some of your listeners have them, they're based all over the Alps and yeah. Like I say, we've worked with them in the past. We share a shop space with them in Courchevel. Um, and they have it, they have a difficult thing when it comes to ordering uniforms because they've got a certain amount of instructors coming out. Um, sizes change between brands year on year. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, their stuff is North Face. Like one set of gear from one year, the instructors will be wearing a medium. And when they turn up in resort to try it on, they're like, oh, I'm a large this year. Like the cut and stuff has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, as the models change so they end up having excess stock and they also have a lot of uh, part-time instructors that come out for the holidays so they'll have a lot of italians or brits that'll come out and work over christmas and, and easter so they come out and they wear a uniform for sort of two weeks and, mm-hmm. and then it's you know it's not used anymore so they donated a lot of products um and what we then did is we we started off first at sort of um there's, there's a Facebook group called Facebook Ski Club. Um, and I just put a message out on there to see if people would basically I bought this thing called Tenacious Tape. It's like it's, it's like um, a repair tape for like seam tape and stuff. So uh, firstly, I put that over the logo and just put a poll on there and said, would people buy this jacket with this tape over? And some people were like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Like it's not going in the bin. But a lot of people were like, nah, it just looks ugly. Like it doesn't look good enough. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, but um uh, so we're like well let's and, and one of the pushes we always do in this space is we're always like let's not make more waste so when i bought this tenacious tape you know it was it came in like a probably a 20 centimeter roll so not very long roll wrapped in plastic and i was like 
you're gonna have to lose two of these per jacket to cover the logos and it's just creating more and more waste so we were like well we've got loads of jackets so let's sacrifice some of the jackets to make sure we patch them um, and they look as good as they possibly can so yeah we take the same color jacket we cut it up we'd use it to make the patches so that when you look at the jacket you couldn't really see um, that we'd repaired it and then we'd reseal it on the inside so in a minute we're resealing it with um yeah seam tape like um ultimately when we're bigger i want to get hold of some machinery that we can properly reseal the inside mm -hmm. to make it 100 percent waterproof again i mean the waterproof as they are now but i you know i'd want to make a really good job of making sure that they're, they're resealed um so we did that with new gen we've also had stuff from crystal which has been amazing the crystal stuff uh we have we're launching a big survey in the next couple of weeks to see if there is a market for rental we we kind of believe Natalie that we believe there is probably a, a, a bit fairly big market for ski clothing rental um but we'll find out from this this survey <laughs> the plan is to use the crystal stuff uh, to create a big rental fleet so we've been covering that up we've been taking some photos um and yeah it's like like you say this stuff would have yeah it, it it's not very easy for a band to repurpose because they, you know, new generation doesn't want someone on skin badly in a, in a new generation uniform. Like I yeah. completely understand that. Um, they don't want someone in the pub, you know, throwing a punch. <laughs> like, with, the, with the jacket. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's fantastic. So if um, in some of the stuff, uh, you know, the, uh, you, do you have examples online? If people went to the, uh, to the one, yeah. you, yeah, on a, so the website, just uh, hopefully, sort of very shortly, the new website should be up. Um, but on there currently is the One Tree Shop. It's uh, easy enough to find if you go on there, you can see some sample products. Uh, unfortunately, it's got a bit more difficult to deliver. So we're just trying to figure out how we can deliver back to the UK. Um, <laughs> but it's basically, it's slightly more costly, but it's also a time thing. Like um, I have to complete customs forms and like we've got so much going on it's almost like we just don't have the time to do it so. <laughs> yeah uh, i mean it, we've kind of just halted like shipping to the uk but we do yeah. plan to get that sorted um really because i imagine there's lots of people who probably want to support something like that and then in, in terms of the people who actually do the work are they uh, local volunteers are they paid employees or how do you get the work done to and uh to, uh, to um you know to make the stuff saleable yeah. Yeah, so for the seamstresses, I've paid them from the start because, it, yeah, they need to be paid. It works that way. Like, can't just always be asking people to volunteer. Um, everyone else to this point has worked for One Tree, so we've got a really good team that work as volunteers in the shop. Uh, we've got a good board. Um, there's Claire and Ali and Andy and Guy are on the board, and they all work free up to this stage, um, done the cracking job. I mean, ultimately, yeah, it's it's a it's a French association, which is, I guess, it's similar to a not-for-profit. Mm -hmm. the, they don't really have a charity. They don't have a vibrant charity sector in in, in France. It's, it's quite strange. Um, so ultimately, we want to get to a stage where we are paying staff to be able to take this project even further because we've got you know we've got really far in a couple of years, but now we need to kind of kick on. Um, this shop space is working brilliantly, even during you know. We've been kind of lucky in France. We we were, we were only shut for about six weeks, and then we've been open the rest of the time. Like all business, all shops places have been able to open, and this has been doing really well, like ticking over really nicely. Um, yeah, it's because we've got a good team of volunteers. But yeah, it, it, we we would work like honestly having like run a ski boot shop for several years and stuff. Like the model here would work like on a bigger scale in many resorts. Um, that's good. That was going to be one of the things I was going to ask you. I mean, one of the things that, you know, probably similar to yourself, you've had the opportunity to, to visit other resort towns around around the world. It sounds like, you know, you've got a bit of a model there that uh, people could yeah. could take that model and you could plunk it down in New Zealand, you could plunk it down somewhere in the United States or somewhere in, I don't know, in um, Scandinavia or something like that. So it's uh, that's quite cool. So if people wanted to do something like that, I imagine... They could probably get in touch and find out oh, yeah, more yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, I've, I have regular meetings with someone contacting me from uh, who's just completed a master's who wants to do this in the surf industry, so we're helping mm. them on that and stuff. So yeah, like I'm, we're well happy to share information and um, yeah, but just please get in touch. Uh, interestingly, Decathlon and um, Ovu Camper, which is mm. a pretty nice shop out here, they've both very recently opened up secondhand sections in their stores and repair mm -hmm. sections. So like it's spread into the the wider sort mm. of industry quite fast um so i think we'll see this stuff plopping up popping up everywhere mm. i've got 
got a sneaky feeling when it becomes French law like next year, um, a lot of organizations will just outsource this. So we're probably pretty well placed to, to start taking on some of the outsourcing. Like they're not all gonna deal with their waste um, in house. So I think yeah, we're pretty well placed to start doing that. Uh, so it'd be good, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's, it, that's good. I mean, uh, you said, obviously, you said be happy to share information. Um, one of the things mm-hmm. I was hoping you might be able to uh, to share with us is, you know, a, a lot of people think uh, that they, um, what they do either doesn't make a difference or doesn't make an impact. Um, and I think especially as you, you highlighted beforehand as well, uh, people heading off on holiday, uh, coming to resort, they're in holiday mode. But um, yeah. from your experience, what you've seen, what you've done, are there a couple of little tips and tricks or thoughts you might be able to share with us in terms of how tourists might be able to, to reduce yeah. the impact? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think cause that, that idea that we're sort of too small to do anything, I, I really struggle with that idea. I kind of feel, yeah, big businesses do need to change. Governments need to change. But are we as individuals using that as a little bit of an excuse to not change? I don't know. Like. I, I do feel it's a slightly easy one to hide behind. Um, so when you're thinking of a ski holiday, for example, there are tons and tons of changes you can make straight away. So what we try to do with the pledge system is focus on all the different areas of a ski holiday to see how much we could reduce the carbon footprint and the plastic um, waste and such and such throughout holiday. If you're coming away, like the first thing you can do is catch a train. Um, you can also now from this year, you can get... Um, an electric powered transfer to resort there's mini buses running this season uh, if you do that one thing you're going to reduce the carbon impact of your ski holiday between 70 to 80 percent like wow into the train um so even in like even if you just did that alone like that would make a big difference when you get to resort uh a good thing to do is start to speak to your or start to look around for holiday providers like accommodation providers that have got an environmental policy or companies that you're going to work with that have an environmental policy mm-hmm. um it's it's super important like and if you're asking the questions of someone then or of a business they know you're starting to look for a holiday that is reducing its impact mm-hmm. and you, you know it's like if we don't ask these questions then we're not going to say to these companies like these companies aren't going to understand that we want to see change um mm. and then you know you can pick a i've just seen the new gen this this week have committed to be carbon neutral by 2028 so you could use a ski school that's really starting to look at their their carbon impact um you can shop in a one tree shop where the the, the impact of that clothing is greatly reduced because it's a reused and, and we're, we're you know or you could rent it you could start renting your clothing um you could, I mean, there's a number of things you could do. You could look at the food that you're eating on a holiday. Like that's probably a bit more of a controversial one um, because, you know, again, you're on holiday, so you want to be enjoying it. And um, yeah, I, I, do, I think there's just lots of different sections you can look mm. into. And if you do all of the things we're talking about, you're probably going to reduce the environmental impact of your holiday by over 90%. Um, the actual physical act of skiing on the mountain doesn't have a terrible, terrible environmental impact because pretty much all our lift systems are run on renewable energy around here. Um, we've got wow. great, great big hydro. The biggest part of skiing, that, the physical act of skiing that brings around quite a large uh, carbon impact is the, is the grooming, um, is the peace bashes. But again, you know, I've just been on another conference today where... Um, we're talking to someone who there's a presentation from someone who works at an Austrian company that's creating hydrogen fuel peace bashes. And, mm-hmm. and I think France is committed by 2030 for all peace bashes to be hydrogen fueled. Don't quote me on that one. Cause but it's, there is, there is a commitment by a yeah. certain, a certain year to be hydrogen fueled. So yeah, like it's sometimes easy, I guess to say like, Oh, you know, I'm small. What's my changes going to make, but actually do a few little changes to a ski holiday and you can have a massive impact. Mm. Huge, yeah. huge impact. That's brilliant. I think um, and, and one other note, I'd just like to say on yeah. that is like, and this is probably controversial again, considering what we're talking about here is brands and things, and yeah. this is going to be hard for it to come around, but looking after your kit as well and, and kind of not just changing it because you want a different color. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think it's, you know, um, 
I think there's there's value in in buying. Perhaps you have to put your hand in your pocket and buy something, uh, not necessarily more expensive. Buy buy better, buy once, and and mm. you know th then it's just say you don't have to chuck it out uh, all the time. And um, just because it's a little bit less expensive doesn't necessarily mean that it's um, you know uh, it, it doesn't save you money necessarily in the long run. So it's mm. so yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Um, so uh, as we kind of get to the, the the last kind of final uh, few things here. Um, if, uh, and you can choose this, you can choose this one, you can choose, uh, whether it's boot lab or, uh, one tree at a time, but, uh, if you had a, a phrase or, uh, a word that encapsulates the brand and what you want it to represent, what would that be? Uh, I think if it was just, if it was boot lab, I would say the phrase was just customer service focused was why the boot lab worked it was so focused or why the boot lab does work so i'm talking about it. i didn't know it stopped <laughs> it's only because i've been not been in the shop for six months <laughs> it's kind of stopped um it was that was successful because of of like the customer focus and and, and for and and also for anyone else thinking to try and set something else that maybe seems like quite ambitious like in that beginning a certain amount of naivety is quite useful uh, it's quite handy. So I don't think if someone says to you something's not going to work, I'd, I'd say just ignore them. And just as long as you've got a solid business plan and you've looked into something, you've gone, yeah. Like there's plenty of people that start telling us no way it would work. Um, so I think if you've got a solid business plan and you've, you've planned something out and it will work, go for it. For the boot, uh, for one tree, <laughs> what we, God, there's so much I can talk about this. <laughs> uh, we're ambitious. For sure, like the the thing we're trying to do is really big. Like what we're trying to do is huge. Um, but we're we're very open minded. We're very open to ideas, and and what we're essentially trying to do is create a community, and and that's the key to solving this problem. So we're trying to create create a local community. So we're trying to engage our community to get involved with ways that they can change maybe their consumption or ways they can repair their stuff and. and it's really cool because we have loads of little bits going on in the shop. So we've got someone who makes like, like makes soap locally. We've got someone who makes dog leads from um, waste off cups from, from the sailing industry. And she's a local person and she's selling for the stop. So we've got like this little community of makers really uh, going on, which is cool. And then also we want a community of businesses. So the, the, the online uh, sort of pledge platform that we're creating is going to have hopefully quite a strong group behind it. Uh, of local businesses that then start to work with each other to bring about change. So, you know, I kind of want to be on a really exciting group to sort of take us out of the system a little bit. So if you're a Shally company and you're thinking, oh, I might start running an, an electric vehicle, speak to another Shally company that's already running an electric vehicle from our group, from our collective, who mm. can tell you how to do it. Or I might want to change to a green supplier. We'll speak to this company that's already done it. It's costing them less. It's easy to do. Um, and so, yeah, community is really, is, is sort of really key to what we're trying to do. We're trying to make a sort of local community of individuals coming together to celebrate repairing and stuff. And then we've also got this business community that we're trying to, trying to get up and thriving. Um, you know, like none of these problems, like this problem isn't going to get fixed unless we all work together. Yeah. Uh, it has to be a collective. We have to be sharing ideas. And, and like I said earlier, if anyone wants to get into touch about ideas, mm -hmm. we're completely open to sharing. And um, one thing we do if a company is interested in like improving environmental impact, for example, they can talk to me on a Zoom call for half an hour, like free chat about things they can do anyway. And if they think they want to come on board and, and get involved from there, they can get involved. But yeah, That's just brilliant. share that's brilliant. I, you've kind of a answered the, the the two questions at one time. I was going to say, what, you, what would you like? What would you like your snow sport legacy to be? And I think it feels like it's something much bigger than you. It's uh, yeah. it's um, community. For that, I'd like to. It's a community, but I'd also quite want to disrupt the industry a little mm -hmm. bit, and that's what we're trying to do in a positive manner. We're not trying to like disrupt to, you know, not bring brands and things along with us. We're trying to do it in a positive manner. So. A feature of this shop that we're currently working on right now is rental service the reason we want to do that is we want to prove to the industry that you can rent ski clothing um mm -hmm. so other companies go with it and also a subscription service so 
uh, we've got this idea where you subscribe to this shop. So you're a local person, you subscribe. I, we've not quite figured it out yet, but say it's 500 euros a year. Um, you can come in, you can use a ski jacket in the winter and a set of salopettes from here. Um, you can then come and swap it out for some biking gear in the summer. You can then come and borrow it. We're trying to get hold of some camping packages. So like some repaired tents with stoves. So you can come and take the camping package for a couple of weeks. Um, and it's this idea of trying to see if we can sort of challenge, challenge ownership um, through subscription, but also present a model to the industry that works. So rather than say to the industry, like, well, you shouldn't be doing this. We want to go back with solutions and say like, mm. Subscription could work. Like we've got it working. Maybe you should look at that. That's cool. Um, so. That's a pretty cool legacy. I think that's a brilliant uh, legacy. Well, it's ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> and my final question is: um, Who do you think a legend of a brand is, and why? Yeah, um, I just think someone who is a legend of a brand is someone who just embodies that brand. So that brand is almost <laughs> is just who they are so i think a lot of successful brands probably started out in that way someone starts up quite small um very sort of proactive and full of energy and the brand probably takes on their kind of their lifestyle in a way their, their, their way their way of being and um <clears throat> yeah there's several brands out there that I, I really really love and you can see that the the people who started out that brand you can see how the two of them work together um you can see the two really and Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, what I've listened to a few of the podcasts. What have you, what do you think people have sort of said? Sort of summarizes the legend of the brand. Uh, well, I think it comes down to some people are say encapsulate something bigger bigger than them, okay. um, and uh, somebody say embodies embodies something like that. Um, a few people have, have uh, called out individuals, um, and uh, like Alberto Tomba, for example, of uh, a legend of a brand. Um, yeah. I think beforehand we were chatting. You know, we we um, um, you, uh, I think, highlighted uh, Jim from Planks. Uh, he's kind of yeah. he's come up as well as yeah. uh, somebody who's who's you know quite quite involved. So yeah, yeah. I think those are the sorts of sort of uh, uh, people and characteristics of uh, who are brand legends. Yeah, and do you think because <clears throat> as companies get bigger, I guess it's quite hard for that that sort of story to stay part of the brand or that person to stay at the forefront of that brand because you obviously need to surround yourself with really skilled people um, I mean one of the great things at one tree at the minute is the people that I'm working with right now is it's just brilliant like it this is a, probably a bit like, it's lucky I mean they're all furloughed and they're super qualified people and so they're <laughs> like right I want to do something because I that type of person yeah um, and so they're chucking the weight behind this and making something like really exciting and and really pushing forward and um you know it, what i'm trying to make sure happens now is the brand becomes them as well because mm. they are they are leading this now um yeah. in their in their special in their particular fields so we've got some people working who've done a lot of marketing experience and doing some great stuff in marketing uh claire from fish and pips who is the sort of shally manager for there who put the whole pledge into action at fish and pips last year is now on the board and she's helping us deliver and a, and a fantastic pledge system for this year so yeah i just kind of wonder like do you lose that as things grow do you feel oh, that I, th I think um i think it, it happens it can happen i think if, if the people who work for a company understand that company's why understands yeah. the, the vision sometimes is uh bigger than bigger than than the person so yeah. in terms of a company people can uh, buy into buy into a brand buy into a company because it represents something to them uh, okay so I, think, I think that's 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 part of it so um, that's that's kind of super interesting because i think with the boot lab like we were so we were so hands-on with the boot lab because we're boot fitters we have to be so like i probably micromanage that business t too much to be honest like because we're in the shop every day during the winter working 10 to 12 hours like our staff team have to work with us every day like it's quite an intense <laughs> yeah. thing we've got queues of people out the door it's quite for long whereas i've kind of sort of come to realize that with one tree i have a different role um you know my role is to sort of get the right people together keep the story going plan the direction that we're moving in mm -hmm. uh, less sort of day-to-day -day, um running of this thing in, in a sense um which has been interesting to do like it's been really cool to um to sort of experience and to guess the two things like the boot lab you just have to be in there every day and hands-on 
customers as well get to know myself and Tom working in Maribor. And we have a really good team, like, uh, but they do change like year mm -hmm. on year. Like sometimes yeah. it's only for a couple of years and then we have like a turnover. Uh, so quite often someone will want to be boot fitted by me or Tom. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's difficult, you know, like being there boot fitting day in, yeah. day out for like the last 10 years is, is quite for long. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, listen, I, uh, I want to thank you so very much for, for, for taking the time out uh, today and just telling us about boot, uh, the Boot Lab, telling us about uh, One Tree. And uh, I think what you're doing is brilliant and fantastic. And I, um, I'm super stoked. And I really hope over uh, the weeks and months and, and years, you know, we can hopefully catch up and find yeah. out how things are going. And, um, you know, afterwards, we'll get all the details, we'll put it down online, because, I, again, I really think it's important that people get in touch with you, uh, find out more about it. And um, yeah, because it's, it's a good cause. And really, let's be honest, that's, that's probably how uh, uh, things are going in terms of being much more environmentally friendly. So uh, thank you very much for everything. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's, it's exciting to have people getting in touch and podcasts get in touch and say, like, can you come and talk? Because for us, that means that the conversation is, is moving in this direction and it's cool. Right, so thank you ever so no much worries. for spreading the word about what we do. So, no worries, no yeah. worries. Well, uh, have yourself a, uh, a good evening and yeah, um, I'm sure we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Will. Cheers, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Legends of the Brand. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Listen, drop us an email at info at legendsofthebrand.com info at legendsofthebrand.com if you'd like to reach out and get in touch and make sure to check out the show notes also at all the w's at legendsofthebrand.com take care have a great day bye bye